Welcome to B&B Financially Free, the podcast for ambitious individuals chasing financial freedom through buying short-term rental investments. We're your hosts, Chantel and Peter, and we're the founders of Good Neighbor Realty. Our brokerage has helped hundreds of people turn their active income into passive income by buying unique properties in incredible locations that are earning a ton of money. On this show, we'll bring on a diverse range of guests from industry experts to everyday people who have achieved extraordinary results in their short-term rental investments, businesses, and personal lives. Whether you're seeking tactical advice or trying to unlock your richest life, BNB Financially Free is here to join you on the journey. All right, and welcome to another episode of BNB Financially Free. We are so excited to have CEO and founder of Rent to Retirement, Zach, on the show with us today. Zach, how are you doing? Chantel, Peter, I'm doing excellent. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me on, and I know we're going to have an excellent show for your community. I agree. So, Zach, in short, like not only have you created a very successful investor business to help people find investment properties that are turnkey, but you've also built a real estate portfolio over time that's netting seven figures in cash flow. And I know that that's a dream of ours and so many of our communities. And so I can't wait to dive in with you on exactly how you built not only your company, but your portfolio. So let's start with rent to retirement. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and how you help investors get started? Sure. Yeah. Lots of good stuff to talk about. And thank you for that. So rent to retirement, we are the nation's leading turnkey investment company. Turnkey is one of those buzzwords that we hear about all the time. So just to define kind of what we do, we our, our mission is to make the best deals across the country accessible to, to everyone, to the individual investor. And, and we do that in a turnkey fashion, meaning we first identify the best locations throughout the country to invest based on a Long list of criteria, landlord-friendly legislation, low taxes, population, economic growth, so on and so forth. Um, we go into those areas. We build our local teams of all the people and working parts that you need to be a successful investor, including builders, rehabbers, property managers. And then we, we offer a turnkey product. And so that is either a house that's been fully renovated or newly built. Majority of what we do is build to rent properties. Um, and then we lease and manage them for investors. So... The average investor, regardless of where you are located, has the accessibility to invest in some of the best locations at, throughout the U.S. where we're doing all the heavy lifting for you. So that's essentially the business that that we run, Rent to Retirement. Um, we've, we've been in this space for, for over a decade now. And really, the foundation of our company came from uh, my wife and I, just our own success investing. I have a career path in optometry in a, in a previous life. Um, I was on Air Force scholarship. Um, and so at, when I went through professional school, I went into the Air Force for five years practicing optometry. That's where I started investing. We, we first started investing local because that's what we knew and felt comfortable with. But there was a pivotal moment in our own investing career path where we decided like, hey, there's probably better opportunity investing in other markets uh, where there's better numbers, better cash flow, better returns. And so that once we kind of broke into that, um, I guess, area of investing outside of our local local area that opened up a lot of new investment opportunity that allowed us to retire from our career paths early on. And a lot of people came to us saying, hey, we, we uh, want to do the same thing you did. So that's the foundation of rent to retirement. Oh, very cool. Um, I mean, our community really, like, they're all like really cool, like really uh, easygoing investors. So like, they're very excited to kind of like listen to, to, to these types of stories. So like where, um, where is like a really good 
place to invest now? Like, I, I guess, like over the decade, has the has the landscape kind of changed with uh, your company, and where is like the best place to invest? Yeah, Peter, as you can attest, it's a dynamic market. I mean, especially right now when we're talking about you know debt and things like that. I mean, real estate. One of the exciting things is it's always changing, and so we always need to keep our pulse on you know, where the market's headed, uh, where the best opportunity is. This is very geographically dependent. People talk about market corrections and things like this, and there's there's still some markets today that are just absolutely thriving. Um, so, I mean, we we as a business, we mainly focus on two general geographic geographic locations. This would be the Midwest and the Southeast. Uh, and we mainly focus on long-term rentals. We do have some short-term rentals um, that we sell, and we mainly focus on single family and small multifamily. So that's that's our core, especially new construction. Um, but in the Midwest, this is your typical kind of turnkey property, maybe your, your average bread and butter, three bed, two bath, $150,000 house. Um, that's That's really where we focus on. I mean, it's just a good solid cash flow house, right? That you hold on. You, you don't expect to have crazy appreciation in that house. It's just kind of workforce housing. Um, the best Midwestern location we're seeing the opportunity right now is in some submarkets south of Cleveland. This would be like Barberton, Canton, um, Akron area, just a, a really solid growing area where we, we just see a lot of opportunity for the kind of the Midwest. In the Southeast, we focus on pretty much exclusively brand new construction. Um, and th- these are more growth markets. Alternatively, the, the price points are obviously a little bit higher. This would be like a three or $400,000 price point for a single family house. This is an area where you likely come into a little bit of immediate equity. You can still cash flow on new construction, but you're also going to see strong double digit appreciation, both in rents and market value year after year, even to, in today's market value. Areas that we really focus on in the Southeast, um, we, we like an area outside of Huntsville, Alabama, um, specifically a town called Harvest and surrounding areas that are like 20 minutes commute to Huntsville because Huntsville is an area that's just gotten crazy expensive. Um, so you can still cash flow there. We like Southwest Florida. This would be Cape Coral, the high acres, Fort Myers. We do a lot in this area as well as um, surrounding areas around Orlando. And then in Texas, we like New Bronzeville, Texas. This is an area we actually do offer short-term rentals um, and some areas outside of Houston and San Antonio. Now, on a personal level, which is right up your guys' alley, because we're working personally together, which we can talk about on the short-term side, we do a lot in the Colorado Rockies. Um, and this is just a highly sought-after area for short-term rentals that like, we have some of the best-performing assets on the short-term rental side in, in Colorado. So, But that's more on the personal side because those are high price points, specifically short-term rentals. I can't wait to get into that more. Before we do, just so I understand how people can invest with you in rent to retirement, is it something that they partner with your company on? Do they own the asset with you? Do they end up owning the asset outright? How does that work? So our goal is to assist investors in building their own portfolio. We sell the turnkey products to them. They are a 100% owner of the property. So we're not raising capital from people. We're not doing like an equity share with them. We're helping people build their individual portfolio where you're hundred percent owner, because we believe that that's where you truly build wealth in real estate is it's actually owning the asset. Um, and so we, you know, we have all the teams and systems in place and help you build your own personal portfolio. As far as working with us, I mean, we walk through the same process. It's, this is a normal real estate transaction. You have all your normal checks and balances of appraisal inspection. We, we work, consult with you where your advisor, to help you have the right financing in place, have the right business plan, investment strategy, identify the best location with the right asset classes, and then go through the process of acquiring those. Um, and then make sure you just, you know, you're covering all of the things you need to like, do you need to have an LLC structure in place? 
how do taxes work in this area? We walk you through the whole process. We don't charge our investors anything. We get paid, like we make money through building houses and renovating them and then selling them to investors. So, you know, that that's how our process works. That's really cool. And I feel like we're similar in that way to where, you know, we really believe that the way to build wealth is for people to build their own portfolios. And so we're asked all the time, like, you know, are you guys a fund? Are you guys syndication? And so I love that you're providing that service nationwide because that doesn't really exist, especially in a turnkey model like that. Um, to transition into your personal portfolio, I would love to know just about what got you into real estate investing. What was your first property purchase? How long ago was that? And maybe you can tell us um, a little bit about how you've scaled it over time. Sure. Yeah. Um, so our first our first house was uh, a duplex. So we lived in half and lived and rented out the other half. This is when I was a young captain in the Air Force, probably 13 or 14 years ago at this point. Um, we've since sold that house and 1031 exchanged it because we held it for much longer as a rental. Um, but that the year after that, we, you know, that's where we got the bug, right? And we bought a couple more houses, another duplex, and I think a single family or something. And a lot of that was local. And then eventually, as I mentioned previously, we got to the point, Chantel, where we started to look out of state just because we're like, hey, there's better opportunity elsewhere. This was in North, I was stationed in North Dakota, which is not like a highly sought after investment market um, for you know, most people, but, um, from there, we just, we just kept scaling. We obviously built this business and, um, diversified across the country. And we, um, you know, we started investing in a lot of different asset classes. We've gone through basically our transition investing was, okay. We were mainly residential, single family and small multi. And I believe that's the best place to start. Quite, quite frankly, um, it's, it's, you're very, um, I guess, recession resistant, uh, very stable asset class. You're investing in human necessity housing, right? Especially in a, if you're investing in an area that has an undersupply of housing, mm-hmm. like a lot of the U.S. does. Residential real estate is just a really safe bet. Um, and then we let real estate, we own those for a long period of time. We let real estate do what it does. Let rents go up over time. Let the houses appreciate. Let the tenants pay the loan down. We have equity. We sold a lot of that off. We still have many single family and small multi today, but we sold a lot of those off. We went through 1031 exchanges. And then we started over the past about five to six years selling that and trading up into more commercial assets. So these are mainly commercial retail and some industrial. We own over 11 shopping centers at this point. This is throughout Northern Colorado. And as you guys are well aware, we started buying luxury short-term rentals. And I really like that asset class. Um, It can be passive if you set it up appropriately with the right teams. And we've kind of scaled that. So we have a portfolio today that's high figures and total worth. It cash flows net. Um, over seven figures annually. Uh, it didn't happen overnight, of course, but it, you know we we stayed the course. One thing I tell people is every single year we consistently bought more and more real estate. That hasn't always been easy to do, even as we have challenging debt circumstances right now. But we've been strong believers in consistently scaling, maximizing the tax benefits, doing things like accelerated depreciation, which has allowed us to buy more and more real estate. Yeah, that's so cool, and I love that your story is that you've just done it consistently over time. Obviously, real estate is a really expensive asset class to get into. I know that you have, you know, a really successful business as a part of your active income. How were you funding these? And how do you advise people to fund a lot of real estate purchases over their lifetime? That's, I mean, capital is the most limiting factor, right? We we all run out of down payments to put down at, at some point in time. Our first house, that first duplex, I was fortunate to be a military member to have the VA loan. Actually, I put no money down on that one. That's awesome. And then um, from there, you know, it was basically just uh, side hustles, 
towards uh, saving money and having some financial, um, I guess, planning to be able to save up down payments for properties. And then also partnering with other people. I think that's one of the most underutilized things. Like, there's a lot of people out there with money that maybe don't want to invest in real estate um, or, you know, they're not happy with their current investments and they need, they need a hustler to come along and, you know, help them invest in, into other asset classes where they can be a little bit more passive. So we, we partnered with a lot of people. Um, but we did get to the point, as I mentioned previously, going through 1031 exchanges where we just own real estate and let, let real estate do what it does, which is build equity. Um, we saved up our cash flow. We always reinvested our cash flow. Um, but we also just, you know, owned real estate in good areas that appreciated, let the tenants pay the loan down. We build out equity and then we reinvested that equity. Um, and that has been what's really allowed us to scale our portfolio. And that's what wealthy people do. I mean, they, they, they are usually always leveraged unless they're at the point of retirement or that's part of their business plan, but they use leverage. They maximize tax benefits, um, in the real estate and then they, they trade up, right? They use their equity and reinvest. So that's, that's been crucial for us in allowing us to expand our portfolio. It's a really cool point when you get to the point where your real estate's buying real estate. Um, it just takes some time to get there. Yeah. I mean, uh, obviously like these, these deals stack on themselves and like it gets easier and easier. Um, when you were starting out or like our listeners sometimes like to hear about what was like a really challenging or like one of the worst deals that you've ever done. Uh, and like, you know, what maybe you learned from that. We could probably talk all day long, Peter, about uh, some of the challenges we've had because, I mean, real estate, it's one of these things like it takes work, right? I mean, even even if you're investing turnkey, like there's, I don't think there's any true thing is there truly passive income because you always need to be manage your money. But especially if you own real estate, you got to manage property manager, you have tenant issues over time, like real estate takes work. And so that's why I think the people that are listening to your podcast and interested in investing in real estate, they're, they're like the top 0.1% of people that are you know, wanting to be financially literate uh, and, and savvy, and but it does take work. And so we hit obstacles at some point in time. So, I mean, some of the deals that we've, we've had issues with, I mean, actually, okay. So the first out-of-state property we bought was downtown Chicago. We actually bought it from a turnkey provider at the time. This was about 10 years ago. Um, this was an individual that, you know, these were D-class properties, um, really low income area, a hundred percent like section eight tenants. Um, not that that, is a bad thing necessarily, but like, we just didn't know we weren't getting into the issues. We weren't presented with an opportunity. We're like, Hey, we're going to have a lot of tenant issues and turnover dealing with the government and Chicago housing authority. Um, but this was an area where like this house was nicely renovated and, um, in a really low income area. And it just became a night, a nightmare from a managerial standpoint, the provider that we bought him from, he ended up dying of a brain aneurysm, um, like eight months after we, we closed him and we bought multiple, we bought three of these. So like on paper, it looked like a really good deal. Um, and they, they were okay for the first six months and then things started to happen. The tenants trashed the, trashed the place. They stopped paying, you know, uh, Chicago is not a super landlord friendly area to, to invest in. And so it's just kind of a nightmare. And, uh, we eventually got out of those. Some of those we lost money on some of those we, you know, kept long enough to, to, I think maybe break even or make money on them. But we really certainly learned how to invest out of state through that and ultimately built our own systems. And so I guess the silver lining there. And this is probably the case with any uh, deal that goes south is that there's, there's lessons in this, right? And so lessons that we can learn on uh, that we can apply to be a better investor in the future. Everyone goes through these things and you just got to have the grit and the tenacity to, to stay in those deals. What we learned was the right way to how to, how to invest out of state, how to be conscious about 
investing in better locations. Maybe maybe Section Eight low income area was not not the best place for us to start out out of state. Um, and you know just parameters around finding contractors. I mean, this is one thing we've learned out of state too is when you when you're working with it, and this would maybe be true of anybody, real estate agents, brokers, contractors, lenders. Sometimes to find a good one, you have to go through like 20 bad ones. And it's very expensive sometimes and, and time intensive. Um, so knowing the right people in the industry um, and not having to fight your way through to find the good people, I think that can really expedite your your goals. But yeah, our first out-of-state investment was actually very, very bad. So That's too funny. That is literally our story as well. So exactly the same, like in Chicago, class D assets. We also bought some in Georgia. And we, when we first started, you know, we were listening to the bigger pockets podcast. We're like, Oh, this is great. These homes are $30,000 each. We're going to make, you know, five to 600 bucks in rent. That's like an 8% cap rate. We're getting them under value, but little did we know that like we weren't getting them under value. They were just in a horrible like block and like the next block over was much more expensive. The tenants, like we basically were becoming slumlords at that point. We were inheriting properties with like a ton of problems. The tenants were unhappy. We immediately needed to do renovation that we didn't think about. And that actually, um, was such a good learning experience for us and like how important it is to actually like work with someone that has your fiduciary interest. We bought from a wholesaler instead of a realtor that told us that we were getting a great deal. And like, we should have gone and actually walked the properties like in person. We should have had like vetted multiple property managers and we didn't. And so when I got into short-term rental, I was like, this is the best. Like, you know, there's a cleaner in there once every three days, the asset is perfectly maintained. Like, you know, so that's exactly how we got into this space too. Well, I mean, we, we all have those bruises and those scars. Um, and I think the most important thing uh, you said, Chantel, is that that was a good learning experience. And, and I think some people lose sight of that when, when they're in it or it's real recent, they mm-hmm. have PTSD, right? And they're just like, oh, real estate sucks. It's not for me. And it's really unfortunate to see have people have those experiences, especially if they're their first time around investing out of state or whatever, because like there's so much potential in real estate and all these different things and avenues that you can go down. But yeah, if you have that first experience out of state investing or just in general, it's like, it can be really hard. That could be, that can taint your, your viewpoints and your perspective on real estate as a whole. Mm-hmm, for sure. Certainly. Um, let's uh, let's kind of switch gears a little bit and let's uh, talk about those luxury short-term rentals. Um, let's see, like, tell us about that portfolio in the in the Rocky Mountains and and how they're performing. Yeah. So we this is something that um, we is more recent to us. Probably over the past three to four years, we've started to buy these short-term rentals. I've now we're we're in Colorado now. We're north of Denver. Um, I'm a very avid skier. I love the mountains. It's always been kind of a dream of like. Hey, I'd, I'd love to have a you know mountain house at some point. So I've thought about this for a long time. I've always kind of run the numbers and had the the assumption that you can't cash flow on these things, even with twenty percent down. Managers they're so expensive. Managers charge you know so much, and like it's. And I'm curious if short term rentals are going to be super involved because you know there's and there's regulation changes around this. It seemed like a risky investment. So those are all my preconceived notions of this space. Um, going into it and something that's kind of been just, I've thought like the same things. And I think a lot of people have these assumptions and I've had these assumptions for a long time, but we, we broke into the short-term space probably about three, three and a half, four years ago um, with the idea of like, well, the first property we bought, we got a really good deal on, but like, Hey, we can, what we found early on is like, 
having a little bit more attention to detail and management, we can actually outperform what most of the managerial teams do. And so I have a business partner um, that runs a boutique managerial company. And that, that's his company. I, he hands, handles management. I'm very minimally involved with them. So from my standpoint, the properties are pretty much passive, but we've like we've had to get to that point where we can be um, generally, you know, we have good systems in place, but we only we only deal with luxury properties. So we cater to a very unique niche. Um, we like properties that are five bedroom and above. We do some in Park County right now, as, as you guys know, but we're, we're looking to expand to other areas potentially as, as well as we grow our team. But we, we, we found we really like the unique houses where we're not just in a box, right? We're not the typical two bed, two bath condo where it's like there's a ton of those and your rental amounts are going to be within this, this range. So we've taken all every single property that we bought, we've been able to increase revenue dramatically within one to two years just by operating them better, better marketing practices, um, better just managerial services, concierge type services. And that's an area. And then we run cost segregation on them and take the, the tax benefits. And um, we're loving it. I mean, our all of our, our portfolio does really well and we're excited to buy more. I, I'm Shant- Chantel and I were on a call this morning <laughs> with a, a potential seller of one of these record range houses. So, trying, yeah. trying to get them down five mil. We, we almost got there. <laughs> he's, a, he's a little bit overinflated on what he wants. What he wants. <laughs> but as we talked about, it's, it's rapport building, you know? And I mean, it's crazy just over the past three years because as you guys know, there's just been this hyperinflation. A lot of parts in the country, but like some people are buying the sky with their price points and, and they're like, they, you know, they bought their house for a fraction of that years ago. So they don't need to sell. But yeah, we're out there hustling. Chantel's really turning over every stone for us to see what, <laughs> what the next one is. I'm having so much fun doing it. Um, Zach, could you walk us through like one of your Summit County deals, like maybe the Keystone one that is your top performing one? Like what was the purchase price? What is it making from a revenue standpoint? You know, what were you able to deduct from your cost segregation study? Yeah, sure. Let's talk about that one. That one's a great example because it's it's probably one of the best uh, performing assets. This was a house that was listed and it's a, it's a large house. You probably find it exactly if you, without giving out the address, probably find it exactly if you look online because it's one of these, if you look in Breckridge or Keystone, it's the number one house that comes up if you're over five people um, on your, your search criteria. Um, but it is, it's a unique house and that's the type of stuff that we like. It is a nine bedroom, 11 bath, 9,000 square foot house. Um, it's very open um, where, you know, multiple families can come and stay in this area. It has a movie theater, game room, workout equipment, sauna. It has a in, in-ground hot tub, um, grotto, waterfall type area. So, I mean, it's, and it's on, a, it's on a hill. It's not skiing ski out, but it's close to the resort within, I think, two miles. So very accessible. But this is a house that was listed on the market for just under $5 million. It's like 4.85 or something for a long time, for like a year. Um, I contacted the, the listing agent on it and put out an offer it was an offensive offer. I think we offered three million. They didn't even respond to us, you know. So whatever. And then you know we didn't hear anything for four or five months. And then they contacted me back and was like, "Hey, are you still interested in this house?" And um, you know, seem I seemed reluctant about it. Yeah, of course. If we're if you can give us our price on it, um, we're we're interested in it. There was still debt. They still had a, you know a large loan on the property. Um, they were doing at the point at that point in time. They were doing. I think they did. 270,000 the previous year, like there's just under 300,000. Um, they had it listed on Burbo, not Airbnb, not a lot of the, there wasn't a ton of visibility. It was kind of managed um, by some, you know, a broker that 
had 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 multiple properties, but they weren't they weren't really optimizing the listing and the the showcasing it to that type of clientele. Um, so we uh, eventually, though, after about six to eight months of negotiation back and forth, we settled on a purchase price of three two. Um, I waived all the inspection, you know, contingencies and appraisal and everything. It's just like I understood that I'm buying a below market value, and we ended up closing on that. This is, I think, about two years ago at this point. Um, we put about 200k into it. We had to replace the three boiler system. That was 120k. Like there was work to go into it. That's part of the reason I think not a lot of people wanted to buy it. But within year one, we did just shy of half a million in in revenue on it. So we we got a, a good price on it, um, and we kind of used our niche managerial experience to um, you know increase revenue like what is that 60, 70% in, in year one. So that's the type of assets we're doing. And now, and then we bought the property across the street from it as well, where we can like collectively house like 45 people if if we want to in that area. Um, and they kind of work together collectively. So that's that was a great win. We did a, so we did a cost segregation. Um, this was still when we had 100% bonus depreciation on the house. So I think that um, I'd have to look back at my report, but I think we got just shy of 40% back on our bonus depreciation on it, which was just, just great. I mean, so we bought it for, you know, 3.2, we removed the land from it, which was a couple hundred thousand round numbers called three, 3 million was the improvements. And we probably got, you know, what was that? Like 1.3 million of accelerated depreciation on it. So that's, that's huge. That's huge. Um, yeah, super nice. <laughs> I forgot what else I was going to say on that one. So that's, that's our goal, you know, is to keep buying those type of assets. The, the accelerated depreciation is getting, becoming less attractive year after year. Um, but that's something maybe that I'm, I'm sure you talk about on your podcast too. So we're real estate professionals. We obviously work in real estate. Like I didn't need to go through the short-term route to do accelerated depreciation on this. We do this on all our assets that we buy. But, you know, if you're, if you're someone that's looking to get into the short-term space and you have, you know, a tax liability, I mean, taxes are most, the highest expense we're ever going to have in our lives, right? We always are high advocates of paying less money to Uncle Sam and then reinvesting that money to actually earn an interest on it and in income and then buy more assets that have additional tax benefits. You get the snowball effect. Well, you can buy short-term rentals. And if you're actively engaged in the management of those personally, you don't have to be a real estate professional. You can still take accelerated depreciation on short-term rentals. And it's all about the, it's all about the, and I'm not a real estate attorney or CPA, but um, you can put them into service that year. And then the next year go and hire a property manager to do it and still get that accelerated depreciation. So that's a unique thing for people to like make some huge tax moves in the short-term space. Yeah. And we, we get to work a lot with high W-2 income earners. And this is so critical because I think that sometimes when you're in a normal W-2 job, you don't get the opportunity to think like a business owner and like, how can I offset some of my tax liabilities? People are just conditioned to think that like they should just pay it and it's normal. But we've started to have, you know, physicians that are like, Hey, I would like to pay less money in taxes. Why don't I buy a home or an asset that I'm going to enjoy plus that I can make cash flow on and it's saving me money in taxes? It's 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 a no-brainer. And yeah, I know that the the benefit is getting less and less every year, but there's still a lot of benefit. Next year we'll have 60%. Um so, you know, in your scenario, you still could have deducted more than 600k on that property. Your return on investment is infinite if you get to invest money and earn income on it and buy more real estate and earn a return on your investment versus just paying it right to the government where you, you just never see it again. So 
really good strategic move. Yeah. And I have another question, Zach. So like, obviously you're a proponent of leverage. Um, and I think that anybody who is really a serious real estate investor is, is there a point or are there any precautions that you would have to everyday people who are considering, you know, taking a HELOC on their primary residence or on an investment property? Like, do you have any opinions on using leverage and when to be aggressive and when to be more conservative from that standpoint? Sure. I mean, there, there's a lot to dive into on this. I think that leverage, leverage is a very powerful tool in real estate. Um, it w- is what allows you to stretch your capital across multiple properties. There's tax benefits to using leverage. I mean, again, if you're if you're a newer aspiring investor and you're looking to grow and scale your portfolio, leverage is a key part of this. You, you need to use leverage responsibly, of course. Um, but with with how lenders are structured today, I mean, they're going to basically require you to, uh, I mean, you probably would want to use more leverage than you're able to. Um, I know that's the case for us. So um, leverage is a key aspect to understand, especially in today's market where we have high interest rates, but there's a lot, of, it's a dynamic space. There's a lot of different loan options available. You should, you should be aware of, excuse me, on the, uh, on the HELOC aspect, I think a HELOC is a great place. We take a HELOC out on as many properties as we can. It's a line of credit. It's the cheapest line of credit. It's a way for you to take money out if it's not a taxable event. There is a such there is such thing as return on equity. Um, and so you need to be conscious of that. And that becomes your return on equity becomes less over time as you have more equity in the house and time goes on. And so again, this is what wealthy people do. They utilize their equity to buy other assets. A uh, HELOC is a great tool where you can use that as a down payment on a property that's like the only line of credit you're actually allowed to use as a down payment on a property to acquire more assets. So it's a very valuable tool. You can pay the HELOC back with your cash flow or whatever the case is, and then rinse and repeat. It's it's there. I encourage everyone to have a, a HELOC. If um, and there's some new exciting things coming out now where like you can basically automatically qualify for HELOCs. You can use it as a credit card where you get actually cash cash back on those things. There's just a lot of things. So certainly no like educate yourself about HELOCs. Um, that's just one of many resources. We um, we like to use HELOCs. We call local credit unions. I found that's always the best place to get actually the best best HELOCs in Colorado. Um, Ant Credit Union, I'll give them a shout out. Or uh, what is it? Premier Members Credit Union, PMCU. Um, we have HELOCs through both those credit unions and they offer exceptional rates. We got actually up to 90% LTV on our current house um, for a HELOC or primary, which a lot of people told me that you can't, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love to prove them wrong and, and get that HELOC. We, but I think outside of the HELOCs with leverage in general, with short-term rentals, this is something that is is quite dynamic. And you really need to work with someone like you guys who can guide people on the best lending opportunities, especially for short-term rentals, because it's hard out there, especially as you get above like that into the multi-million dollar purchase price, as a lot of these houses are. Um, we, like that Keystone house, we bought that with a second home loan. I didn't mention that previously. We put 10% down wow. on that house. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at our return on investment, like the tax benefits alone was like 400% or whatever it is, just because we put so little money down. We obviously personally use the house as well, but we're allowed to rent it out as a as a short-term rental. That could be an excellent place. Like if you plan to use the house, right? There's some regulations around that, but you can use it as a second home loan. Um, you could you could buy a house as a primary and then live in it and then convert it later to uh, to a short-term rental. Um, but specifically short-term debt, like if, well, not short-term debt, excuse me, buying long-term leverage on a short-term rental, that's a space not a lot of lenders are super comfortable with. I'm sure you guys have resources for people um, that that need that, but it's 
kind of the wild west uh, and it's a limited limited funding world for short-term rentals especially if they don't have track record in history um but yeah we that's the key piece of a portfolio to be able to scale yeah i mean um so i guess like with with all that leverage, you know, with with all of your portfolio, with your uh, you know residential stuff, with your with your luxury short term rentals, with your shopping centers, all of that stuff, um, what's like what's like on the horizon, like for for you guys, like for maybe in the next five years, is there like another like exciting asset that you guys are targeting uh, in the future? Well, Chantel and I are in the hunt right now, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, the the, the next short term rental. I mean, honestly. That's the next asset class that we're going to be continually buying mm. um, specifically here because it's just performed well. I think I'm done buying commercial retail. Um, we have some, it's a challenging space right now. We have some tenants that are going through like bankruptcy just yesterday. We had a tenant that was on a 10 year triple net lease and they were in there for like less than two years and then just pieced out. So wow. um, that's, that's not fun. You know, um, as far as next asset classes, I mean, again, we're, we're always buying residential. I mean, we're closing a lot of new construction. We're building a lot of ground up construction. This is outside of rent retirement. This is something that that's just we personally do. We're building a lot in Southwest Florida, on the coast in Alabama. We we run you know accelerated depreciation on those as well. We love new construction. We're building those where they have immediate equity in the houses. They cash flow well. They're in a growing market. We'll always probably you know continue to buy those. But we've really enjoyed the short term assets um, in Colorado specifically because. You know, we've just done, we, we perform well on those and we've structured it with my partner on management where it's just systematic. You know, they can be hands off. Um, it's super fun. Like that's the funnest asset class to tell people that you own. Mm-hmm. No one really cares <laughs> if you own like commercial retail centers or like single family residential, but you show them this, these nice luxury houses. And that's cool to talk about. Right. And, and go visit. Uh, we'll always, we always carve out at least once, one trip a year. We bring a bunch of family out and, and do it like, that's just a fun fun asset class to own. So I think we'll continue to buy more of those. Awesome. Yeah. With your like with your two Keystone properties that are like right next to each other, do you get like big family reunions and like just like big parties and stuff? And can you get like a big uh I guess like can you get a higher return when when you have two of those properties? Yeah, they they definitely um collaborate together to work together. Cause one thing that we get a lot of people to reach out about because we have one we have one of the largest houses in in Summit County where people can sleep large groups like you can sleep 30 people there you know um at just one house and you can't do that in a lot of places we can't officially like publicly showcase that it's a wedding venue people do whatever they want to do in the house we let them do um they have micro weddings there Mm. um but what one thing we've strategically done is we've gone to the wedding venues um in the mountains and been like hey we have these two houses that can collectively sleep 45 people they're right across the street from each other um you know and we we give them a 10% comp, you know, if they book through them. And so we'll have a lot of families that will come and rent out both houses and because there's not a lot of options for that. And they have a lot of fun, right? It's just, a, yeah. and, and the reviews, like we have, all of our reviews are five-star. We don't even, we don't have one that's like 4.9 anything. It's just because it's, we try to create such a unique experience. That doesn't say we haven't had problems of stuff going wrong in the house. Like we had a power outage the other day. I mean, but we just really try to cater to people and create a unique experience for them. Um, but yeah, we'll have people come in and they'll, they'll book both houses because they'll have a large, large family reunion and they'll come back next year and do it again because they loved it. That's amazing. Yeah. I think it's so important to really focus on unique stays. And I think that that's, 
I, I think that so many people like to get into the short-term rental space that are entrepreneurial like you, like us, because there's so much more that you can squeeze out of them. Like with long-term rental, you know, you pretty much know going into it, this is the rate of that I'm going to get from this long-term rental based off of this comp, this comp. Sure, you can increase it by making it better. But with short-term rental, there really is some some magic to you going out and, you know, partnering with wedding venues to offer your stay, or, you know, you just have exceptional design and then all of a sudden everybody wants to stay there. And so I just love that like people really can continue to squeeze more out of the short-term rental space by doing it well and committing to do it, doing it well. It's that competitive advantage. It's the uniqueness and you don't have to have a super unique house. I mean, it, it helps too. I mean, you guys know that's kind of the criteria we have is we want kind of a unique opportunity that we can showcase and build off of. Um, but it's just the, yeah, the unique experience. You can do little things. Um, I know that we don't personally do this, but there's some people in the space that just, um, in the short-term space that they just take an average house, but they make it a really yeah unique stay, right? There's a theme to it, or there's something that, uh, people, they can really go off on the marketing side and like showcase, this is a cool place to live or for a few days or whatever visit because of what you do, what you've done in the house. And that allows you to have that creativity aspect and involvement, which, you know, that's again, a fun place to be. Awesome. Well, Zach, I've so enjoyed this conversation. It's so fun to speak to people that are in the places that we want to be in, that our community wants to be. And so I just loved hearing your story today. Where can people find more information about you and rent to retirement? Um, you know, should they want to invest in some of the other out of state markets? Absolutely. So of course they can visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Um, the first thing to do, I mean, then we have all sorts of information. We put out a lot of podcasts and, and YouTube stuff. We have a lot of educational resources about all things real estate, you know, um, not just turnkey. We, we do some stuff around short-term rentals. Um, they can text REI to 33777. Again, that's REI to 33777. That will allow you to set up a consultation with our team. I know that you guys will put a link in the show notes as, as well. Uh, if you hear about us from the Good Neighbor team, please let us know that because we're specifically offering a $500 closing cost credit for anyone that comes from your community. Um, just to thank you, thank you to you guys as, as partnering with us and being awesome partners. Um, so make sure you you let us know you're from the Good Neighbor team and you've heard about us on this podcast so we can give you that $500 $500 closing cost credit. But we're happy to speak with anyone that's interested in real estate. Even if you're not interested in turnkey real estate, we have a lot of resources to share with you and can offer some market education. Awesome. Yeah, you guys have a killer podcast. I love listening to it. We'll make sure to link all of that in the show notes. Well, thank you so much, Zach. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks so much. As always, thanks so much for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend who's also interested in real estate investing. And don't forget to subscribe and give us a review wherever you listen or watch your podcasts. 